Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Into the final half hour of today's episode of Live Mike. Thanks for tuning in. Big stuff we've covered here today on the program. We have a, a new governor inaugurated, new lieutenant governor as well. And we are also learning that in the lead up to a big vote on the floor of the United States Congress on Wednesday, that there are some pretty split views. And those views uh, are, are essentially split in the Republican Party in twain. And uh, as the days and hours go on, we'll learn more about where uh, Utah's federal delegation stands. Uh, still to learn where Senator Lee stands. Uh, I am also awaiting, uh, and I expect it here momentarily, to get uh, some insight into uh, Congressman Curtis's position. Uh, last I knew, he was leaning uh, towards voting against the objection. We'll get uh, some uh, final word on that. I have had occasion, though, to speak now to uh, Congressman Stewart, Congressman Owens, and Congressman Moore, the last two being the freshmen. Uh, and if you want to get up to date on where they stand, please download the KSL News Radio app powered by Any Hour Services. Uh, with that said, let's set our sights not on Congress, but on Utah's legislature, specifically the House of Representatives, specifically Representative Walt Brooks, who represents a portion of St. George. Representative Brooks, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. Listen, I think it was about a year ago this time you and I were talking about the issue of constitutional carry uh, last during the last legislative session. Uh, you, your intention is to bring that piece of legislation back uh, again. And so let's have the conversation again. Tell uh, me first, remind listeners what, uh, what exactly constitutional carry is, and then we'll move into uh, what the appetite might be among Utah's Capitol Hill. Sure. Um, so basically, another term that's been used a lot by um, the presidive, previously executive branch was permitless carry. So, and I think that explains exactly what it is, is that you're able to conceal carry a gun without a permit. Um, so in Utah, you can already carry a gun in your home. You can carry one in your car and you can open carry. But if your jacket covers your gun, now you're breaking the law. And that's the, really the difference. It's a really kind of a small difference but I think an important difference that we need to address. And talk to me about the pathway of this legislation last year. How did things wrap up last year, and what does that teach you and tell you about your approach this year? Okay, well, um, I wanted to get it out last year, so there was plenty of time um, for the citizens of the state to look through the bill, to read the language, and understand what it was. So it came out fairly late in the session, and we knew that it wasn't going to be able to pass. For one, um, Governor Herbert opposed it. And so he wouldn't have signed it. And being late in the session, that it wasn't going to be able to get through the whole process of, of the House and the Senate both. And so I wanted to make sure that it was numbered so that the language was there. And that way we can have as much transparency as possible to see what the bill is and exactly what it does. And, and since that was all done, um, it was easy to get drafted. And so it's already um, public right now. It's HB 60, and people can go look and read through it. 
Do you have a, a companion sponsor in the, the Senate? Uh, what what uh, what pieces are in place for its pathway forward? Well, the, the Senate sponsor is Senator Hinkins. Um, the reason why he was um, chosen as the Senate sponsor, because he's ran this same bill mm-hmm. several years ago. Um, initially, it was uh, Represent- or Senator Ibsen, who was a supporter of it as well. So, But Hinkins is um, the sponsor, mostly because we used his language from Geez, I think it was like 10 years ago when he sponsored this bill. Sure. Uh, we're speaking with Representative Walt Brooks from St. George, a Republican who, again, in this Congress, in this uh, in this general session of the Utah uh, legislature, which is set to begin on January 19th, uh, will be sponsoring, again, a piece of legislation, HB 60, uh, to bring about constitutional carry here in the state of Utah. It would remove the state's requirement for law-abiding Utahns over the age of 21, to have a permit to lawfully carry uh, a concealed firearm. Uh, educate us a little bit. How does this? Uh, how does how do, does legislation like this uh, across the country look? Are, are there other states in, in similar circumstances? There are. There's, and that's why we're actually moving forward. And I, if you don't mind, I like to best back up just a little bit. Sure. Um, I get lots of emails and, and people that are concerned that we're moving the concealed weapon permit together. And we're not. We don't actually do anything with the concealed weapon permit. I have one. I think people should go get one because it's it's useful, especially if you carry across state lines. And if you go purchase a gun, you've already have your background check, so you can show your ID and, and bypass that process. So we're not removing the concealed weapon permit or the classes. But what we're doing is making it not a requirement to be able to conceal carry. Um, so you asked a question about what's going on into other states, and and that's a great question. Um, I think Governor Herbert back in 2013 didn't want to do this because he felt like it was making Utah the wild, wild west. Um, But since then, there have been a lot of states that join on. Right now, there's 19 states that have uh, permitless carry, and there's six other states looking to address it, including Utah. And so that's half of the United States that's looking to move this direction. And I point to people that this is not just um, a left issue or a right issue. Um, Three of the safest states in America are New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine, which are all Democrat states that all also have permitless carry. There is a lot of study and data that's gone back and showing um, that having this type of gun control is not reducing gun crime. It's not helping the issue. In fact, um, one thing I I quote often is, is, um, let me see if I can pull this up real quick, it was the, the Journal of the American College of Surgeons, and their whole point was to be able to figure out what can they do to re- to reduce gunshots and gun deaths and gun violence together, because that's what they're dealing with. And this is their conclusion. This study demonstrated no statistic significance association between the liberalization of state-level firearms carry legislation over the past 30 years and the rates of homicides. So basically, he says, police effort, uh, policy efforts aimed at injury prevention and reduction of firearm-related violence should likely investigate other targets for potential intervention. That, that's fascinating. Like, yeah, it says if, if we want – and who doesn't want to reduce gun crime or gunshots accidental or on purpose? Yeah. Um, so how we do that – and he says if you want to do that, you need, we need to look at better policy because just requiring people to get a permit is not doing it. It's just taking away everybody's right. And, and I, I've heard a lot of arguments – um, there's a lot of people that feel uncomfortable with guns. I respect that. And I actually think that this is a move in the that direction. So if I go to the movies, 
and I don't want to see someone open carry. This allows someone that doesn't have a permit to basically conceal carry um, and not break the law. Where they have to open carry. Two, two questions in two questions in closing. Again, we're speaking with uh, Representative Brooks, who is working on a piece of legislation. Actually, it's been introduced, uh, which would uh, move Utah into the constitutional carry category. Uh, final two questions. One, an easy one. Do me a favor. I'd like to get that literature you just shared. I'd like that quote. I'd like sure. to look into that myself. Let's connect offline and let me get my hands on that. I'll, I'll do what I can to to share that on social media and such. And then, second, uh, in your last effort. It was uh, telegraphed to you that Governor Herbert then would not be a supporter of this uh, and signaled an intention to veto should it make it to his desk. Any any sense of where now Governor Cox might stand on this? Yeah, we've met several times and he's given it full support. Okay. Him and also our lieutenant governor. She has also given us full support for it. All right. uh, Representative Brooks, thank you for your time. Look forward to uh, seeing how this turns out and likely having many more conversations with you as this year's general session of the Utah legislature gets going into high gear. Thanks again. Great. Have a great day. Thank you. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. Before we go, though, I do have uh, just a brief update. Uh, as this segment kicked off, I said that there were a few outstanding members of Utah's delegation to weigh in on the issue of certifying the election. I do have a tweet here from John Curtis. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's take a break right now. When we come back, I'll share with you what Representative John Curtis is now saying uh, on the issue, specifically the pressure placed on Georgia officials. That's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Bear with me here. We're going to cover two topics, one of them quickly, one of them at a little more length. Uh, the first one is really just tidying up something we addressed earlier in the program. We've spoken to various members of Congress on the program today, speaking about both the hour-long conversation between Georgia's Secretary of State, the state of Georgia, and President Donald Trump, alongside uh, Mark Meadows, White House Chief of Staff, and attorneys for both sides. Uh, it was troubling. Earlier in the program, we played some snippets from that, uh, but I, I listened to it myself uh, in its entirety. <laughs> the first time I listened to it, I was standing over the kitchen sink doing dishes, and later on, to make sure I didn't hear things incorrectly, I went back through it and listened to those details, and my jaw dropped again. It was unsettling, it was uncomfortable, and it was disappointing. And if uh, you call me uh, you know, this name or that name for standing in that position, well, that's what I'm due. Uh, but it was it was an unfortunate uh, way to speak to the Secretary of State uh, of a state which has now three times counted the results and three times uh, asserted that the results went a certain way. And based on that way, the electors cast their vote, and yet the president is still pushing and pushing and pushing. If you do have a chance, uh, you know, I always encourage folks to do. Uh, you know, a lot of research on their own, track down source material, source documentation, uh, news outlets are, are not always to be trusted. And digging to the source uh, and deciding for yourself is honestly, first off, it's good practice. And second, it really is one of our responsibilities if we are to be an informed electorate. If we take seriously the positions we take, uh, we ought to inform those positions with good information. And in this case, that involves listening to what the president had to say for over an hour and how the secretary of state responded to his allegations. Now, uh, this is all lead up to uh, a little bit of uh, tidy work I owe you from earlier in the program. I said we don't yet know how uh, John Curtis stands on the issue. He, just moments ago, uh, maybe 15 minutes ago, Max, put out the following tweet. I'm going to read it to you in its entirety, and then we're going to move on and talk about guns. 
Uh, Representative Curtis says, no matter how you voted in the presidential election, we should all be disappointed with attempts to pressure Georgia officials to, quote, find votes. Under Republican leadership, the Georgia presidential results have gone through multiple recounts and legal challenges. It is what it is. So there we have the position of Representative Curtis on the Georgia matter, on both the merits of the claims leveled by the president and also the pressure placed on those Georgia officials uh, by the president. It is what it is. After multiple recounts and legal challenges, it is the position of uh, John Curtis that it is what it is. Now, what still remains to be uh, answered is the question of uh, how the congressman will act on on Wednesday, the 6th. Uh, Georgia looks to be taken care of, but the expectation is that objections will be raised based on uh, the goings-on in various states. If I was predicting... I'm predicting he's learning, leaning towards not upholding the objections or not supporting the objections. But I'm not going to speak for the congressman, and we'll let his actions do that for him. Uh, in fact, all the members of Congress uh, we don't yet know about. Uh, I think that uh, we need to hear definitively from Representative Curtis here and also Senator Lee. Senator Lee, who as of late has not made it a habit of being quiet on things, is uh, uncharacteristically silent on this matter. The first thing I did when I heard that Ted Cruz was leading an effort of, what was it, 14, I think, or at least a dozen members of the Senate, Republican members of the Senate, standing with Josh Hawley in uh, his intention to offer objection in companion to House objections. I I scoured that. In fact, I I didn't even just read the list. I did the control F, right, and typed in uh, Senator Lee to find his name. Uh, And while it wasn't there, I got instantly curious as to where he stood. So we'll find out maybe ahead of time, but certainly uh, come Wednesday, we'll find out how he stands. Anyway, let's set that issue aside. There's really uh, nothing left to learn until the rubber meets the road on Wednesday when, in a joint session of Congress, the House representatives and senators will attempt at least to engage in their constitutional duty of certifying the Electoral College's decisions. Anyway, uh, let's see. You have about four minutes left. Shoot, I wanted more time, but it is what it is to quote the congressman. Uh, There is a freshman member of Congress from Colorado. Uh, Her name is uh, Lauren Boebert, a Republican, and she, we've discussed this on the program earlier, she recently wrote a letter to House leadership asking them to keep in place a rule enacted in 1967 which would exempt lawmakers from a ban on firearms inside the Capitol building. What does that mean? It means that uh, while the U.S. Capitol exists within the District of Columbia, and there are certain firearm rules in the District of Columbia, and we'll get to those in a second if we have time, uh, for the general public, you can't bring guns in, into, the, into the U.S. Capitol. But in 1967, an exemption was put in place to allow members of Congress to have firearms. And this freshman congresswoman from Colorado, Lauren Boebert, uh, a, a petite woman, uh, five feet tall, 100 pounds. I'm comfortable sharing that because she did so recently on on uh, on social media, on Twitter specifically. I, I don't make it a habit of uh, sharing numbers like that, but she did. And it's contextual here in this conversation. She sent a letter to House leadership that was signed by 82 other members of Congress, both incoming and current 
Republicans in Congress, including Dan Crenshaw. You heard him referenced earlier in my conversation with uh, Blake Moore, Representative Blake Moore. And, well, guess what? When the Congress convened over the weekend and the 117th Congress commenced, the rules were voted on and passed. And guess what? It appears she got her way. It appears she got her way. There is no prohibition on that rule put in place in 1967, uh, which allows lawmakers or rather exempts them from a ban on firearms inside the Capitol building. Not long after the rules were passed, she took to Twitter with this video. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm a newly elected congresswoman from Colorado. Even though I now work in one of the most liberal cities in America, I refuse to give up my rights, especially my Second Amendment rights. It's a very dramatic video. She's uh, marching towards the camera. The Capitol is behind her. The grand buildings where uh, the halls of Congress quite literally reside are flanking her. And she's marching uh, square-shouldered straight towards the camera, making that assertion. And then in that same video, she talks about why she will be carrying her gun in D.C. Interestingly, the chief of police in Washington, D.C. hosted a press conference today where uh, it was made known that she will be subject to all D.C. laws, which for the most part uh, prohibit the carrying of firearms. So the grand question is, how does she get her firearm from Colorado into the Capitol building where she uh, can enjoy an exemption? Anyway, it's an interesting story. Uh, A friend of mine working in Congress today said he saw uh, the newly minted representative uh, walking the halls of Congress. Didn't appear that she was carrying, uh, but that likely is because she has to answer the question of how do I legally get this firearm into the building? Anyway, if you're a gun fan, you might have found that story interesting. And if not, uh, you might find it infuriating. 57500 is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. I'd love to know what you have to think. I'm going to take the long break now. I'll be back tomorrow, 1230. Time for me now to step aside and make way for the great great Jeff Kaplan as he brings you Jeff Kaplan's afternoon news here on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.